to Gut Feelings, a Roan Foundation Drossman Care podcast series. I'm your host, Johanna Ruddy. On this weekly series, Dr. Drossman and I are frequently joined by guests as we discuss disorders of gut-brain interaction, their diagnosis and treatment, and of course, patient-provider communication skills, trainings, and tips that are helpful for patients and doctors alike. Thanks for joining us. In this special episode of Gut Feelings, as Dr. Drossman and I prepare for the launch of our new book, Gut Feelings, The Patient Story, we hear from one of the patients featured in our book, Alex. We talk to him about his personal illness journey, about his search for effective management of his symptoms, and how he's doing now, still somewhat symptomatic and looking for just the right dosage of medication diet, and brain-gut behavioral therapies to help him feel better. We also talk about tips and things that Alex learned and is learning along the way that can be beneficial for any patient in their own illness journey. We hope you enjoy this special episode. Hi, welcome to another question and answer session with Dr. Drossman and myself. Today, we are joined by another wonderful patient who is here to share his story about his illness journey. We know how much you enjoy hearing from patients and resonating with their experience and learning some things along the way. So today we're joined by Alex and Dr. Drossman. Hi to both of you. How are you today? Hey, Johanna. Hi, Alex. How are you? Good, Dr. Drossman. I'm doing well. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Well, it's good to have you on. Um, we've been do- looking at several of our patients for our upcoming book. And uh, I think your story is rather interesting because in some ways it's the complexity of, of the care that's been required when the problems are a little bit more complicated. And uh, success is on the way, but not there yet. So I think it's a valuable piece of information for our audience to hear about. So maybe tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do and where you're from, everything, anything you want. Sure. Yeah. So I uh, just turned 26 this past November. Um, I was born and raised outside of uh, Washington, D.C. in the Northern Virginia area. Went to school uh, at Miami University outside of Cincinnati. And uh, currently I am working as a neuroscience sales representative uh, with a company called GeneSight, where uh, we do uh, DNA testing to see what kind of mental health medications would work best for a patient based off of their uh, genetics. And, and that may be relevant as we go on. Um, well, tell us how your illness began. Sure. Yeah. So uh, my illness began uh, about the age of 20 when I was a sophomore in college. Um, I had just returned abroad from a trip uh, with some friends in college and came back with uh, MERS, Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, uh, bronchitis, sinus infection, took multiple rounds of antibiotics. And after those uh, rounds of antibiotics, started to um, have some weird GI issues. Um, Went back home uh, to uh, DC where I started to begin treatment. And that kind of uh, started this journey of uh, trying to figure out what was going on with my GI symptoms. You know, for the audience out there, this is a very common theme, getting a severe infection and ending up with what we call post-infection IBS. What what were the symptoms when it began? Yeah, so uh, immediately any type of food that I would eat, I would immediately get a full, I would get bloated, it would turn into pain, um, some nausea, 
I didn't really have much appetite and really felt like I was walking around with food constantly stuck in my stomach throughout the day. Um, and it definitely was very bothersome and um, very scary, especially as a young 20 year old, not knowing why this was happening and uh, what I was going through. So you never had this before? No. Yeah. Um, I mean, I could eat a whole Chipotle burrito, uh, maybe even two, and was completely fine up until uh, that point. Um, so no GI issues whatsoever up until that time. So for those of you out there, this is not IBS. Uh, this is postprandial or after a meal fullness, early satiety, meaning feeling no longer hungry and not even able to complete a normal meal. Uh, and that is called functional dyspepsia. And it's a little bit like uh, PDS, postprandial distress syndrome, but there's also a component of pain. Uh, was the pain only after a meal or did it continue? Yeah, so uh, the pain was usually right after a meal, but it would continue throughout the day and even into the next morning sometimes. Um, as my illness progressed, the GI issues worsened, the pain even worsened, and it became a chronic uh, type of pain for sure. So, and this is upper abdominal. So this is a combination of PDS, postprandial distress, and EPS, epigastric pain syndrome, where the pain is constant, not necessarily related to meal, whereas the fullness and the early satiety is meal related. So you had a combination of both. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and tell us how things progressed. Tell us your healthcare sure. experience from this point. Yeah. Yeah. So when I first um, started feeling these symptoms of fullness and bloating and pain, I went to a local uh, GI doctor back in DC. Um, and he, uh, you know, went through all the rounds of testing, CT scans, endoscopies, colonoscopies, you name it, nothing came back positive, And my GI conditions continued to worsen. Um, throughout the years, I saw several other specialists that went through testing as well. And um, it was at the time they thought I had SIBO. And through many years, they were giving me more antibiotics, thinking that I had SIBO the entire time. Um, and I would get a little bit better when they would give me a various round of uh, SIBO antibiotics, and then I would get worse. And it was this constant cycle of getting a little bit better and getting a little bit worse every time. Um, and it got to the point where a lot of times, you know, I was in this debilitating pain. In college, I had lost over 40 pounds at one point had to get removed uh, from college after a, uh, a certain amount of time. At some points I even um, withheld my illness from my friends and family. Um, and it really got to a very, very disabilitating time in my life where um, I didn't have a diagnosis. Um, I they thought I had a diagnosis um, and I was just getting thrown medication after medication not knowing, you know, the, what the benefit was, um, not knowing what the treatment was, and, you know, really not being heard and understood, um, and really going through this experience without any knowledge of what I was going through. So, so to be clear, nobody gave you a diagnosis of functional dyspepsia? No, not at all. They uh, did a breath test, which did come back positive with SIBO. Um, they did motility tests. Um, they did a bunch of other testing. And uh, they assumed I just had SIBO or chronic SIBO, um, and they were just throwing antibiotics at me for the longest time. Um, after three or four years of that, I was then referred to a more different type of specialist in the GI, um, and they started doing uh, different treatments as they tested for uh, skin biopsy, which found neuropathy, 
So the thought process at the time was that I had damage in my enteric nervous system. Um, and they were then trialing various other medications like nortriptyline, amitriptyline, all the enes. Um, I, I don't even know how many drugs I uh, trialed at that time. Um, but again, even with that uh, doctor, I was never told what side effects to expect. I was never told, you know, when I should start feeling better. Um, and it was just kind of, here's a medication and we'll see you four months later. And I never understood why I was taking them. And I still didn't really understand my illness. And it was definitely a very hard time to understand what was going on. And there was definitely a ton of frustration, not only from the doctor's side, but also my side as well, too. Yeah. So, so this was treatment was really empiric. Uh, one of the things we've heard is that patients definitely want a diagnosis to know the direction to go. And that didn't happen. Even the SIBO, I mean, uh, you would, you had a positive breath test. There can be false positives. There can be false negatives. So you have to rely on the clinical pattern. And you didn't respond to the to the rifaximin or other antibiotics. Uh, so I, I think that's relevant because when you look at the Rome criteria, it's extremely clear that when someone eats a meal and can't finish a meal and has upper abdominal a discomfort, that is functional dyspepsia. Okay, so you're getting uh, other diagnoses made and other treatments made, and it did sound like it had quite an impact. How was it affecting your life? I, I was, I didn't have a life. Um, I was in this constant vicious cycle of fear. Um, I was in an unknown space of my time. I was still in my young 20s. My friends were going out every night and, you know, doing what young 20 year olds do, hanging out, going out to bars, going out to eat, doing all these fun things that young people do. And I was stuck at home on the couch and chronic pain and chronic bloating and chronic distension after eating every time. And it was one of the probably the darkest times of my life. Um, at one point, it got to the point where um, one of my providers said, there's nothing else we can do for you. And we need to put you in an inpatient hospital unit. And that was probably the lowest moment I've probably had in my entire life. Um, unfortunately, to this day, I haven't even gotten a call back to see if I was admitted into an inpatient hospital. Um, luckily, I didn't have to go. Um, but yes, it was, it was very difficult. Um, a lot of days were were spent just in fear of if I'm ever going to get better, am I going to get through this? And yeah, it was hard for words to describe uh, the emotions I was feeling at that time. It must have been very hard. And you know, even the putting you in an inpatient setting and not following up, to me, sounds a bit dismissive. They wanted to get you off the case. Uh, and, you know. Yeah, I, I felt... I felt like a lab rat, you know, I felt like I was a, a just another study in their, uh, in their trials, just being thrown empirical drug after drug after drug to see if it would work. And, uh, that, that word of hearing like, okay, we, we can't help you. You need to go into a hospital for however long just was completely devastating. And there was a long period of time of just this unknown of, am I going to get better? You know, is there anyone else in the country that's going to see me? for my condition? Are they going to dismiss me again? So I've been dismissed by several other doctors. Um, so it's yeah, very tough time. You, you had, um, 
you also had a history of anxiety that was being evaluated. Tell me about that. Sure. Yeah, that that dates back uh, to when I was 14 or 15. I um, had gotten a pretty severe concussion playing football. And from that time, um, I didn't have much anxiety up until that point. I always had some OCD tendencies. And, uh, you know, my primary care doctor had always told my mother, like, you know, watch out. You might have anxiety one day. Like, um, but when I had that severe concussion, extreme anxiety was followed afterwards. Um, and I was being treated for anxiety um, ever since that time from 15. So that's definitely played a part of my life as well, too. And going through the GI conditions completely exacerbated my anxiety. Um, I, having that fear, that unknown, not knowing what's going on, that feeling sick and that vicious cycle, I mean, just completely, completely made myself worse. I was, my head was, you know, thinking about all these things. I was freaking, you know, I was scared, nervous, thinking about all these negative thoughts. Anxiety was through the roof, which definitely didn't help. That was not being addressed at the time either. Um, and it was just this constant vicious cycle, um, which obviously has a lot to do with the brain gut connection, which I began to learn after seeing you. Um, but at the time I had no idea. I still had that diagnosis of anxiety. And a lot of times, um, you know, they'd send me to a psychiatrist too, and they go, okay, take, you know, you need to be on this, you need to calm down, you need to put you on this drug. And I definitely had the anxiety part of it for sure, but it wasn't the main factor of the entire, you know. I wasn't getting treated from head to body. So uh, a sudden illness like the head injury could contribute to the anxiety. Um, and did you link that? Did you see that that injury was leading to concern or worry about future injuries? Or what was it that linked you the anxiety? Yeah, no. Um, after the, the head injury, um, I don't know if it you know did something to my head or <laughs> I'm not quite sure, but um, ever since that concussion, um, I would start worrying more about just futuristic things. Um, you know, am I going to graduate high school, which was a ridiculous thought at the time? Am I going to get into a good school? Am I going to get, you know, into the best job I could get? Is my career going to get better? And I still have those thoughts to this day because the anxiety is still there. Um, and then when I had the GI issues, it turned into, am I going to get better? Is this it? Is this my life? Is this going to be continuing forever? And it turned into that vicious cycle of these kind of futuristic anxieties and worries and uh, really did not help my condition in whatsoever. So we're getting into the brain-gut connection where the symptoms worsened the anxiety and anxiety could have affected the symptoms as well. Absolutely. Um, so how did it evolve? How did you get to see us? Yeah. So I, at the time when I was dismissed uh, from the one doctor who said you need to go into an inpatient unit, um, I was struggling to really find anyone to help me. Um, I had a very great GI nutritionist at the time who was I was still seeing, and she recommended that I start uh, doing gut hypnotherapy. Um, and my, the gut hypnotherapist, um, Dr. Ali Navidi, after a couple of trials, I asked him, I was like, hey, do you, do you know anybody that is a GI and a psychiatrist at the same time. And his response was, oh, actually, I don't know a guy. I know the guy. And that was you. <laughs> and I was very fortunate enough for him to uh, refer me over to you. 
And uh, I started, uh, I think our first appointment was early August um, from that time. Um, but yeah, that was the uh, story of uh, being able to end with you and start seeing you. So how did the visit go and what happened after that? That was the absolute best visit I have ever had in my entire life in terms of healthcare. Um, before seeing you, um, I had lost all faith in the healthcare system. Um, I had lost trust and faith in all doctors. I didn't trust them. I didn't think my voice was ever going to be heard. I didn't think I was going to be seen again by any type of a doctor or even specialist. Um, but my first visit with you, I think it lasted over two hours. Um, honestly, I, to this day, I'm still shocked by it all. Um, I, it just brought me so much hope. Um, you listened to my concerns. You listened to my whole history of my entire life. No doctor had ever done that before. and it just brought me so much hope to know that you weren't going to dismiss me. You were here to listen to all my concerns and you were going to treat all of my aspects of my illness. And you gave me not just one diagnosis, several diagnoses. And just knowing that even beyond starting the treatment, I mean, was so, was so relieving. And I, I, I remember driving back home to DC after that day from uh, your office, just, I broke down in tears. Um, I think my parents cried too. Um, usually there were tears of uh, sadness, uh, you know, throughout my uh, healthcare journey, but this was the first time in a long time that there were tears of joy and tears of hope. Well, th I appreciate your comments on that. And uh, your case, the, your, your history was, uh, for me, something that had to be reconciled because you were being treated for anxiety disorder. You're on Prozac, I believe. Mm -hmm. And uh, in high dose, which is typical for more OCD and anxiety. And we were also going to treat functional dyspepsia and chronic pain, which put us in a realm of different types of medications. Mm -hmm. So our initial thought was to drop the dose of the uh, Prozac, I think, to 20 milligrams, half the dose, and add, uh, I think it was two other medications, buspirone and Remeron, which have both been shown by Jan Tak um, to be effective for functional dyspepsia. And that's how you left on the first visit, but it didn't go totally well. What happened after that? Yeah, so uh, shortly after a couple of weeks of the treatment, I did uh, start to develop uh, serotonin syndrome, um, started sweating a ton, um, lots of diarrhea, um, crazy anxiety that I'd never uh, had experienced in a long time. And, um, I kind of figured immediately, um, just, just from, you know, the symptoms like this is, this doesn't feel right. Um, this doesn't feel normal. Like I'm not having anxiety about certain things. I'm just having anxiousness and nervousness and sweating. Um, but you know, right. As soon as I told you that you knew immediately what was going on. Um, so that was able to kind of swiftly move away from that. Yeah. So let's talk about serotonin syndrome. It occurs with medications that are associated with high serotonin. So Prozac, of course, has the highest, it's an SSRI, but then Buspirone is a serotonergic drug too, and Remeron has also serotonin. And so the combination led to this syndrome. Uh, for the clinicians out there, the anxiety is not targeted. It's almost free-floating. It's a feeling of anxiety, but it's not related to some worry about your health or about anything else is just there. Your, your pulse rate goes up, 
you sweat because of the serotonin, you might get a tremor. So there are many, many symptoms that are associated with the syndrome. So once we, we um, recognized that, we basically had to cut. By the way, this was done in discussion with your psychiatrist. We called and we discussed it and we decided we would make some adjustments because you were also being treated by the psychiatrist. So we didn't want to preempt that. So we did drop the Prozac some, but we then modified it. I believe we might have put you on quetiapine. Is that right? Seroquel? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. So right now, um, I'm currently taking uh, Spombalta and Seroquel right now. So that is uh, the current medications that I've been taking. And that's a, that was actually a great side point um, that I wanted to bring up is I've also never had a doctor um, collaborate with other doctors. And that is another great point to bring up. You were the first yeah. to actually reach out and be proactive about that and kind of put all the pieces of my anxiety in the past history with my GI as well, too. So that's also something that for viewers is I was very thankful for. Another thing we did, let's not talk brands now, but we did pharmacogenomic testing. So we were able to look at the genetic profile of which medications could be handled best, uh, which are rapid metabolizer or slow metabolizers. And so we got a combination that was effective. The Cymbalta was for the pain. It does have as an SNRI some serotonin, but quetiapine or Seroquel is dopaminergic. It's acting at different receptors without the serotonin. So we're hoping it's, we're only, you know, we've only been seeing each other for seven months now. So we're still working, but we're hoping that that combination in the right dosage would move in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so, how are things now compared to when you first came to us? How are things going for you now? Yeah, you know it's I mean, a little better, but yeah, no, um, definitely from you know August till now, there's definitely been a lot of ups and downs. Um, but I'm definitely still very hopeful. Um, I know that you're never going to give up, and I know where it's just a matter of tweaking the right type of neuromodulators and the right dosages to figure out what's going to be best for my anxiety and my GI issues. Um, so. From the past seven months, even though it's been a rocky uh, kind of roller coaster, I know I'm going to get. I know I'm going to get there. I know I'm going to get better. I have you as a provider by my side. Um, I now am seeing a, a provider for CBT therapy, which has been super helpful as well too. Um, and you know, I have hope. I mean, the past seven months, even in my darkest times, you know, even with the serotonin syndrome, the ups and downs of the GI, the ups and downs of the anxiety, I still have hope. Um, and largely it's, you know, due to you and, uh, due to, um, being heard and the constant communication and the provider communication and also the knowledge of my illness, um, having that knowledge and knowing that, you know, there are certain medications, these neuromodulators are, are going to work and it's just going to be a matter of time, uh, to find that right combination. And I'm, I'm excited. I'm very excited for my future. I mean, and <laughs> it. It's been a long time since I've been able to say that. Well, it's great to hear. Do you have any messages for the people out there, either patient or doctor? I do, yeah. I I strongly um, advise for patients just not to give up hope and to advocate for themselves. There are plenty of providers out there that are willing to listen and definitely surround yourself with friends and loved ones. That's definitely extremely important. That has been important through my journey. and to keep advocating and to keep fighting. Um, don't give up. If you get misheard, 
don't let it get to you. Move on, find that next provider that is going to be the one that's going to help you and going to listen. Um, it took me six years to find a provider like yourself that was willing to listen and help me through my journey. But it it was from not stopping and not wanting to give up. So my my best advice is to not give up, surround yourself with loved ones and friends and look for that one doctor that is willing to listen and continue to advocate for yourself as a patient. How about for doctors, anything for doctors? For doctors, uh, it would just be to listen. Um, you know, uh, it's, I know it's tough for a lot of providers that, uh, you know, they have a lot of patients, they don't have enough time, but just being able to listen to what their patients are going through and uh, understanding their exact symptoms and not disregarding them, I think is extremely important from a provider perspective. Uh, to understand and better help their patients as, you know, a lot of times the providers have a narrow scope if they're looking for that one diagnosis and if they don't find that, they don't give, they give up. Um, so I think having a more open mind from a provider's perspective and listening to your patients would be very important. Well, thank you so much for sharing that story. I do want to make one disclaimer because um, I understand you've made a lot of attributions toward me and what I did, but what one reason for doing this and writing the book is because there's no magic here. This is, there are definable skills that can be used, active listening, as you said, validating the symptoms, showing empathy, showing support, continuing with the patient. These are, these are critical and they're learnable skills that no matter how difficult the symptoms are, the patients will stay connected and work with you. So Johanna, any other thoughts you have? No, I, I completely agree. And I think um, that's an excellent point to make. And Alex, thanks for sharing your story. I think you made some really excellent points about the um, benefits of a biopsychosocial approach, whole body, um, and, and the value that patient education had for you, really understanding, getting a diagnosis and understanding the diagnosis was really important for you to get that hope back um, for, for your recovery. So Best of luck to you as you continue down this illness journey path. We know that chronic illness is just that. It's up and down. It can be a little bit of a roller coaster until you find that right management, but we know you're going to get there and we applaud you for sticking with it. If you have any questions for Alex, please send them to us. We'll be happy to pass them along and get his answers for you. Until next time, everyone, thanks for joining us. Stay safe and we'll see you again real soon. Bye now. Take care. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Gut Feelings, a Rome Foundation Drossman Care podcast series. Join us again next month for another episode with a new topic and guest speaker as we focus on topics related to disorders of gut-brain interaction and the patient-provider relationship. Also, don't forget to grab your copy of our latest books, Gut Feelings, Disorders of Gut-Brain Interaction in the Patient-Doctor Relationship, and our new book, launching July 2022, Gut Feelings, The Patient Story. Find both of these books on our website at theromefoundation.org or on amazon.com. 